Playoff time is when things start getting serious on the court. Players are more driven than ever to win these big games and keep advancing. Goodyear knows all about being more driven, too. Working hard to help you advance on and off the road. Let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. It's the Tuesday edition of the Hoop Collective. I'm Andrew Hahn. Joining me from Los Angeles, we have Chris Forsberg. Woo! All this weather is so beautiful. And also from Los Angeles, yet somehow uh, none of us could get into the same room together, Nick Friedel. <laughs> I just want to stay here and like lay in the sunshine for the rest of my life. Do we make that happen? Uh, yeah, it's uh, all you have to do is give up a couple of doubloons that you've been carrying around with you, and we can make it happen. <laughs> doubloons? What are you, one-eyed Willie? I mean, is this, are we in the Goonies here? Like, I, I, I love I've, it. Got, I've got Bitcoin if I can stay. <laughs> before we get into Jason Kidd, before we get into the Cavs, before we get into everything else in the league, Mr. Friedel, what does it feel like yes, to sir. be turned into an internet meme? <laughs> for uh for our listeners that don't know uh the timberwolves were in town playing the clippers on monday night and nick Ferdell, who has a long and glorious relationship with the Wolves <laughs> coach tom thibodeau um you asked him a question he gave a very curt reply and you were caught on camera laughing hysterically for what seemed like forever yeah, it was like, it really was like being in a time machine, guys, because <laughs> I went back, I went back through my recorder from shoot around. The Timberwolves ha- had a shoot around on Monday morning and Tibbs was asked whether or not Jimmy Butler, who is out for the second straight game against the Clippers with a sore knee, had an MRI. And his answer was true Tibbs. Like, oh, well, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> It's just day to day, you know, it'll be okay. And I'm, and I went back and listened to it and I'm like, he didn't answer the question. And having been around him all those years in Chicago and listened to the back and forth always surrounding Derrick Rose, I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask Tibbs again, uh, whether or not Jimmy actually had the MRI. So I said, uh, on Monday night, I was like, Tom, for clarification's sake, did, did Jimmy, actually have an MRI and he does the same, uh, uh, well, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, we're, we're just being, uh, precautionary and, and he'll be okay. And, and I said, so Tom, does that mean he actually had the MRI? <laughs> and he says he might've <laughs> and everyone around me, uh, Rachel Nichols, the, the host of the jump was standing there and Brian Windhorst was over there and, and and they started chuckling and I, I just I couldn't take it because all I could think in my mind it had nothing to do with whether or not Jimmy actually had an MRI and, and if we're wondering, yes, of course he had an MRI and they're hopeful that he'll be back in the next few days here. But I'm sitting there thinking back to all those years that I've had the same interaction with Tibbs on a regular basis about the most mundane of details, because Tom is the oldest of old school. We learned in the 
the Jeff Van Gundy way, which is never, never give your opponents any kind of advantage at all. Never allow them the satisfaction of knowing anything that may or may not be going on with your team. So luckily, and, and the kid was very nice. His name is Chris. Uh, he's a uh, journalism student. He's actually going into the final uh, semester of of his college tenure, but he, he introduced himself. Then a few minutes later, he posted that on Twitter and it was just the perfect angle because it got <laughs> backing up. And it also got Tibbs who, you know, you could only see this <laughs> by watching that video, but Tibbs was smirking too, because he knew, he knew he'd been <laughs> such a jackass in his response uh, for usual. So it was, it was a perfect encapsulation of our relationship. And, uh, I'm glad everybody got such enjoyment out of it because uh, I've la- I've laughed several times watching it and all the memes that that came out of it and I'm sure that uh, that will live on uh, within the annals of uh, of internet history. Nick, I, I don't know if you're like like me now, but I, I've become like so aware of where the cameras are because oh, yeah, th- this 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 happens now. Like Kyrie will be given one of his Kyrie answers and he'll be like, you know, talking for a minute straight and talking about being unwavering in his approach and you know trying to, to I mean, just going on and on. And you know, you might yawn, you might like roll your eyes, and all of a sudden someone catches it, and just as you have, have found out now, uh, it, it's 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 everywhere. Uh, but like, there's just so many iPhones out there now. It's like, it's, it, it, it's almost more fun watching people's reaction, especially when you, you know, when there's like a surprise news bit or, or something, you know, <laughs> uh, cause the other, the, yeah. the other one I like, the other one I like is how quickly people who are just like, sort of look like they're going to doze off as soon as a coach or a player says something noteworthy, how quickly they scramble to like get to Twitter. It's like, do 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 do. Oh my god! I get again. I need to. I need to post this. And it's let's just, go. Love, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. I love. I just love watching people in the background. Now it's more fun than actually watching the actual video. Yeah, it it it, it was a realization again because I mean the kid's just holding his iPhone. He's filming the press conference and uh, and and he was laughing <laughs> after the game. I saw him and uh, you know I, I told him to keep in touch and uh, and if I could <laughs> offer some advice you know i'd be happy to but but he's like man you know a lot of people a lot of people watch that video and you know it it just goes to show you got to be yourself at all times guys did, and, did uh, he was he giving you a heads up because he knew your reaction was so great or was he just like genuinely interested in saying hello yeah i know he, he had he had introduced himself before before oh, it okay. all got rolling and then and then he must have looked back on the video this is right as the game was starting and uh, he, he must have he must have seen that he had he had captured the moment. My my professor from college used to say, "Fill the frame, capture the moment." Uh, <laughs> that is the dictionary definition, I think, of uh, of, of that statement. So so yeah, I mean, needless to say, throughout the course of the two and a half hour Timberwolves Clippers game, which was uh, which was crazy <laughs> at the end as well, my phone was buzzing from people all over the place because they're like, dude. You're on the internet. You're all over the internet. So of course it would have to be with uh, my old friend Tibbs uh, uh, from from now until <laughs> until the end. So the uh, <laughs> sa- sage advice from Professor Ferdell to all the aspiring journalists out there is to uh, meme uh, current reporters. <laughs> that, is, that is the way to get the most credibility for you. <laughs> right. Uh-huh.
So, Chris, yesterday there was a lot of soap opera drama happening in the NBA. There was uh, this this Kevin Love fiasco in Cleveland. Jason Kidd's getting fired. I saw other stuff where it says like Port, uh, Portland's Damian Lillard wanted to have like a, a meeting with the owner. Uh, what's what stuck out to you as just these these crazy storylines that just popped up out of nowhere? Uh, well, one, there was just much too much happening for a Monday. It was like, can we spread this out over a week? Like, I feel bad. Woj was like nonstop. Like, those stories should have been done over a month span, and they all came out within like six hours of each other. So I, the Cavaliers one is the most fascinating to me just because the, of the way the Celtics and Cavaliers are, are, are certainly intertwined and their fan bases are sort of looking at each other. You know, the best as I can understand it is Kevin Love left Saturday's game against Oklahoma City early with an illness and then sat out Sunday's practice. Well, the team gets together on Monday, and from Woj's story, it appears that there were some unhappy people in the Cleveland locker room that, that Kevin Love uh, decided to do that and maybe challenge the legitimacy of uh, why he was out. And so, you know, just when you think there, there can't be any more drama in in Cleveland and uh, it, it's, it's always something. And poor Kevin Love always seems to be somehow at the center of it. I feel like he just started to play really well. I, for, for, uh, I was watching a game the other night and seeing how well, like, him and Isaiah Thomas were in the pick and roll. And, you know, I started thinking, wow, you know, that's, 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 that's a little different look. And, and, you know, if you put LeBron in the corner, man, that's, that gets dangerous. Um, I, but all of a sudden it's, it's back to drama and, and, uh, man, I like, the, the, the big thing for Boston fans is always, well, it's, you know, Cleveland does this every year. They're going to figure their way out. It, it's just, you know, they go through these lulls. They don't care about seeding. And then the playoffs roll around and LeBron does LeBron things and the rest of the team figures it out. But with, with every little incident like this that passes, you can't help but sit here and, and wonder if, geez, it, maybe they won't figure this one out. And then LeBron to come out this morning on Instagram and send him his, his high school self a message about his 30k as his team is in shambles uh it it further shows that man it, it it's just wild up there and i don't know if they're gonna figure it out nick like you've you've been in this boat like do you think that the, the Cavs are gonna are gonna are gonna pull this together i still believe guys when you have lebron at least in the east and as bad as things look right now when you have lebron that means in a playoff series somebody's got to knock him off four times and that is just so, so rare over time because of the success that he's had and because of the success that uh, that group has had over the last couple of years. So uh, I still think, uh, despite all the flaws that we've seen, that they'll find a way. Uh, and, and Brian Windhorst tweeted something uh, yesterday I found very interesting. It was uh, He was saying that David Griffin – uh, the former GM of the Cavs, he always used to say, <laughs> "This team, this team doesn't get rolling unless they 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 face some kind of uh, some some kind of chaos." Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Mister Han. And and once you see that year after year after year, yeah, there's a breaking point, and maybe we're here. Maybe we're here. But as we sit here right now, I believe still. Uh, that they'll get things together because we're still uh, it's January 23rd. I mean, there's still time yeah. for them to to find their way. And there's still also time, guys, to for them to make some kind of move because they have that Brooklyn pick uh, and they they have the best player in the game. So when you still have that guy, uh, you still have the chance uh, to find it 
what you're looking for. It's still wild to me that like the one of the best teams in the league still allows that much drama to to foster. Is like I, I don't understand. Like are, are the guys there just so outspoken and so desiring to throw each other under the bus? Like you would think in a team that that has that much success, there would just be this this decorum where these things would stay behind closed doors. And I don't know, but maybe it goes back to like what Windhorse tweeted that it needs to get out there in order to fuel them somehow in like some sick way. They need this. To, to sort of find a rallying cry, but I, I completely yes. agree. There's just way, way too much talent for this team to to not sort of figure it out. And Isaiah is going to get rolling at some point. And like Love again, when they're not yelling at him, has been excellent. And I just, I just can't. And I, I feel like I, I don't know what the breaking point would be. I don't know what it would have to take for us to sit here and say, oh yeah, there's no chance they're going to recover. But it, it's certainly not close to what they're going through now. Is as much of a mess as it is. I have this horrific fear that 20 years from now. Like when these players are writing tell-all books about the heyday and the NBA and their primes, that they're all going to say, oh yeah, all of the the drama that was unfolding on a database basis, that was manufactured. Like it was all planned <laughs> and prepared uh, because we are consummate entertainers as well as athletes. And that all of us in the moment right now have been duped like the Kardashians or the big baller brand or whatever that it's all a farce. This is all pro wrestling and we're just taking it hook, line and sinker. I, I think there's something to that because like the way the up here in new England with, with the Patriots, you know, obviously that, that ESPN story comes out and everyone up here is like, Oh, they're, you know, they're creating drama. There's nothing going on down here. And people are like all worked up about it. And then people actually thought like maybe they manufactured the Brady injury this week, the, the slice on his hand just to take the pressure off all the, the hoopla there. And I, Clearly, it's not true because he's got the gash on his hand. But it is funny that we've become skeptical to like we've had to start wondering that like is it a real injury or are they just trying to take the pressure off of themselves? The only reason I hesitate there, guys, is because <laughs> we, we've all been in these NBA locker rooms. There's always <laughs> drama. Yeah, it's <laughs> always drama. There is always a soap opera esque quality. Uh, to so many of 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 what's been going on, and from a broader standpoint, just as basketball fans, this is why this is why the league is on an upswing right now. Because Chris, you mentioned it, it's a Monday afternoon, <laughs> and there's like seven different things going down, and then like uh, our friend Chris Haynes, he comes out uh, with the. Uh, the the story about Damian Lillard and you're going, what is happening today? I mean, it's just it's a Monday in January and all hell is breaking loose. And the interest level, both uh, in the league and on social media, is just insane. And this is what people eat up in this day and age. So uh, maybe I'm naive, but I, I believe a lot of it, a lot of the drama is for real. And, and we're like this deep into the podcast and we haven't even talked about Jason Kidd getting fired from like what it will probably be like the elite job opening in the league uh, this summer. Nick, you've been around the, the Bucks a bunch. Like what, what's your take on what's happening in Milwaukee? I can't say I'm surprised because guys, when you watch that team, the Bucks really believe coming in this year, they were, they're ready to take that next step. Uh, and I was around uh, Milwaukee a lot and have been throughout the year. I think that that kid had some attributes that they really liked, but I never got the sense that uh, they ever found their rhythm either on offense or defense. 
And and even now, even after kids fired, I'm not sure how much of that is on Jason Kidd. Surely some of it. He's the head coach. But my argument all along, all season, is I just don't think that Bucks roster is very good. Whoa. That's, Whoa. that's at the heart of it. Hot, hot take. Hot yeah. take alert. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, fire the flames, baby. <laughs> I we were friends, Nick, but no, I don't know anymore. I, I, I just don't think they're that good. And uh, when you watch Giannis play, he is a fantastic, fantastic uh, scorer. He's getting even better, but they defer to him constantly. He comes off the floor. They move better. Uh, everything's rolling. And he comes back on. And it's like, all right, Giannis, save us. And that's not unlike what happened with LeBron over the years or some other great players. The difference is when Giannis doesn't have it going and, and he needs some help, they don't have the guy to, to bail him out. I mean, Eric Bledsoe, uh, he has not been what they've wanted so far. Jabari Parker obviously has uh, been dealing with a couple ACL injuries. Chris Middleton has games where you go, okay, everything's everything's really good, and then he just disappears on some other nights. So uh, as much uh, to blame as kid may be, I think the the real underlying issue is that the roster just doesn't fit that well together and is underperforming. And maybe a coach comes in and can win a couple more games, but I don't, I don't think that fixes what, what ails them on top of the fact, guys, they've got this huge, brand-new, uh, gorgeous arena uh, that's being built as we speak in downtown Milwaukee. They want to make a splash within that market. You can't do that when you're struggling to get the eighth seed in a bad Eastern Conference. So... I understand why the, the move was made, and I, I don't know if Kidd was the, the guy, uh, but I think the issue is that they don't have the players around the guy in Giannis that they need. That's kind of fascinating to me because like, my, my thought was always that like they had the talent, that it was the coach who wasn't putting it together. From like from afar, it felt like there was the, that they had the pieces that it, it was more, you know, what isn't Jason Kidd doing to maximize these guys? But like if there, the the thing that I kept going back to is if there was questions about that, then then why wait? Like why didn't they do it over the summer? Or, exactly. Or, you yeah. know, and that, that's the part that, that that makes me think and makes me wonder. Like this is going to be a huge vacancy this summer. I mean, let's start the rumor mill. Who do you think is is there? We were trying to discuss this last night at dinner. Like who is the the top option? Who do you think is the like the coach that Milwaukee would want to get if they could get anybody this summer? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I, I mean, the names out there, there's some good ones. Fizdale, Mark Jackson, uh, I, I'm sure they'll get at least a look. But, guys, the, the, the guy I think might fit really well would be a guy like Monty Williams. Uh, I think he's got the temperament uh, to to get along with everybody. But, but notably, of course, you got to get along with your star in Giannis. Uh, I think he can get that offense uh, up and down, learning from maybe some some things that uh, he didn't do the the way exactly the way he wanted in New Orleans, and he's just so well liked around the league and so well respected that I think a lot of guys would want to play for him, and that would be a selling point to uh, uh, a, a Milwaukee franchise that historically can't always land uh, the, the big fish, so. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different options, uh, and, and surely there will be conversations uh, in the next couple of weeks. But uh, that's a guy, at least that on paper, I think would, would fit a lot of the criteria 
that the Bucks are looking for right now. What about Jeff Van Gundy? Isn't he just like the boogeyman at this point? That there's always this threat yeah. that Jeff Van Gundy's right. coming back, but then never really does. I think the Bucks owners are New Yorkers, though, right? Like, there's some, there'd be some something there where they might be intrigued by that. But yeah, I, I agree. Like, and there's a question of can you just jump back in after that long out? And but I, I think it's it's fun when these these names start popping up and you start thinking like, what would it take? What would Jeff Van Gundy be lured back into coaching by? And I think you got to look at that team, and that's probably one that would that would certainly make you think. Feels like you're saying the Bucks start need to start trading players in order to be uh, to take that next step in the East. Chris, uh, do you feel like they need to make roster changes as well? I mean, they probably have to do something. They they certainly need a, a, a little bit more talent. But I I go back to it like Middleton was really good. I know he's not consistent enough right now, but uh, they have guys around Giannis that should make them a force in the east and i understand why there is frustration that they're you know sort of down there at eight and middling and um uh, but you know it goes Giannis needs to 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 really you know find a way to win these games for them too and i i think that goes back to coaching you have to put these guys in the in the right positions you need the guy who can get the most out of these guys who can maximize the talent uh i think it goes back to it, it especially with a young team there needs to be that structure and a, guy, a coach that can maximize the talent on the floor. To me, it's it's more than just uh, getting more and making a move or what's that. I think that it needs to start at the top and, and filter down from there. What about with the Cavs? Did, is there a consensus that they need to make a move as well? With Cleveland, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved that pick, Mr. Hahn. I mean, Dan Gilbert knows, having lived this with LeBron once Whoa. before, that, but I don't that want- you've I don't want. I don't. I don't want whether there'd be a surprise or not. I want your opinion, Mister Fredell. Do you <laughs> do you think that the Cavs should make some kind of move? See, and and this is, I guess, back to my faith in LeBron. I think that they have the pieces they need still in place to get through the East. Okay. So no, if you're saying, okay, do they make a move or not? I still believe they can win with what they've got. Okay. I think that everybody needs that reality check of saying, hey, you know what? Let's just play some defense. Let's start there. Let's attempt to play defense uh, and, <laughs> and, and and try to get it rolling from that point. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, having that pick is a luxury. Right. Uh, and to the point about Gilbert, you know, he knows he's got to make LeBron happy to, to get him to stay for another couple of years here. So uh, you talk to him, you touch base and see what he thinks. But, no. When push comes to shove, I still think Cleveland can get it done uh, with what's on the roster right now. Yeah, definitely. And plus, that pick, what is it going to be now? Like seven, eight? Like it's not going to be the the real prize that maybe we thought it would be when the the Celtics moved it. So if if especially if you're sitting there worrying that LeBron is going to flee, and you're the only way to to maybe placate him a little bit right now is to get another impact body, and uh, you know maybe. 
just further beef up that roster, then absolutely, I think you move it if the right deal is out there. There's a lot of thought, like, right, that you don't trade it because what if LeBron does bail? You need that next sort of guy to, to, to start the, the, the next process. And uh, But I, I don't know. I don't know if that pick is going to get you that guy or uh, I think it's better spent right now to, to go get it. I don't think they necessarily need it, but I think they'll probably make a move just because – they're worried about LeBron and, and, and whether, you know, they could potentially lose him after the year. And so the reason why I throw these two, I, I put your feet to the fire in these two questions is the other bit of drama that happened on Monday that we didn't really talk about is this surprising fractured relationship between the Spurs and Kawhi and how apparently like the Spurs aren't happy with him or Kawhi isn't happy with them. And like, maybe it's real, maybe it's not. But for argument's sake, let's just say it's real for the moment. Uh, if the Spurs were going to entertain trading Kawhi Leonard, Ooh. I was just sitting here thinking about it as, as the, this news was coming out. It's surprisingly difficult to find a suitable partner for the San Antonio Spurs. Like it's incredibly hard to find fair value. Uh, for Kawhi Leonard, and I wanted to get your opinions on what a reasonable trade scenario would be like in the point zero 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 one percent chance that Kawhi was ever on the market. <sighs> Guys, I don't think you trade Kawhi. Period. Even in that point one one, I, I don't I don't see any scenario. Uh, it, it was kind of funny. Uh, another friend of ours, Ramona Shelburne, we were sitting there yesterday, and she made the argument, and I'd agree with her. That Giannis is the most untradeable star in the league right now because of both his age and the fact that seemingly everyone agrees that he can be the next dominant star uh, for, for years and years to come. But right after that, I'd say it's Kawhi. I don't think there's another guy who can do as much as he can do. And to that point, I, I can't even think of what it would take to put the pieces together in a deal to get him out of San Antonio, even in that that point oh 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 one scenario you're talking about, Andrew. And so, and then we got to like run it back. Like, what would the Spurs be looking for? Are they still trying to compete? Are they looking for some sort of reboot package? I mean, I do struggle to, to figure it out. Like, how you would even start to, to to discuss that? I guess you look at the teams that have what young talent and picks and i guess we always default to boston just because danny Ainge has hoarded all these picks and waits for situations like this where a superstar somehow slides onto the market but like i can't even put together a celtics trade package because like you'd start with uh i don't know the laker pick they might get and jason tatum but then you got to do salaries and so then you're talking like al horford but then the spurs got to throw something in i mean it's just really hard to make a deal that makes any sense and so it's 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 hard to, to, to even start entertaining i think it goes back to it is i don't even think you, you get to that point if you're the spurs you just figure this out no relationship is ever fractured enough where it can't be repaired uh with pop and and i i, I fully believe they will they will figure that out if there is any strife there when i was thinking about just straight up one for one player if you were going to try and get fair value for Kawhi, i came up with four names and stop me if you disagree Ooh. that the Spurs would say no to any of these trade offers. Giannis, if if he was offered, the Spurs would say yes. Kevin Durant, if he was offered, the Spurs would say yes. Steph Curry, Spurs would say yes. Anthony Davis, the Spurs would say yes. 
I think they say no to every other player in the league. And LeBron obviously is still the best player in the league, but he's much older than Kawhi, so that's a different story. Right. Does that sound about right? Is that is that list four players deep? Yeah, Absolutely. and then are any and but are, are any of those four teams trading those four guys in return? I would. I feel like New Orleans would consider it just because like there's a little bit of redundancy between Boogie and AD, and they've needed a wing in forever. And Kawhi is obviously one of the best wings in the league. Like that could be interesting. Wait, you mean uh, Drew Holiday at a hundred zillion dollars <laughs> over <laughs> over five six years and isn't doing it for you, Mister Han? I I love Drew Holiday. I'm actually like a big Drew Holiday believer, but you need a little bit more than just that. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's very weird to. And again, I want to be very explicit. Kawhi Leonard is not on the trade market. There's, it doesn't seem like there's any uh, hint that the Spurs would ever give him up or that any of these things would would ever come to fruition. But it's just exceedingly difficult when you start talking about the top players in the league and trying to to shuffle the decks. It's it's hard to come up with with viable scenarios. When you started the segue coming out of the Cavs, I thought you were going to find a way to get Kawhi to the Cavs, and I was going to. I was going to be mind blown <laughs> that you found a way to get Kawhi and Kawhi and LeBron together. Okay, hear me <laughs> out. Iman Shumpert, <laughs> Tristan. T- Anything else? Anything else that's that's burning a hole in your brain that you want to get out there? Yeah, yeah, Lillard, ooh, the Lillard ooh. stuff, the Lillard stuff. It, I, I, I'm ooh. sitting here. I'm reading Chris's story, Chris Haynes, and Chris reported that uh, last week Lillard asked to meet with Paul Allen, and you know he's the face of the team. He is beloved within that Portland community. But my first question to Paul Allen would have been, why did you spend $110 million on Evan Turner, Mohart? <laughs> hey, hey, whoa, whoa. I got to go, ba- go to bat for my dude, Evan. Uh, oh, yes, they, uh, yes, Yes, they overpaid, but Evan Turner is the type of player you need on a winning team. Not at that price. They clearly overpaid. But uh, do not talk ill of the best quote that has ever passed through through Boston, which increases his value exponentially for GM Forsberg. Okay, did, but did did everybody out there did they, did you let that sink in? A hundred and ten million <laughs> on Evan Turner, Mo Harkless, and Myers Leonard. Well, it, it goes back to it. This is what we talked about at the start. Like you have to make good decisions as as, as teams and like. There are uh, bad general, and I don't, I don't want to say bad general managers because listen, they put together a great core, but trying to find those supplementary parts, they clearly overspent and didn't get the right guys. And that, that puts teams in a bind. This is now, how do you get yourself out of there? You find yourself in this endless cycle of trying to make corrective moves. And this is why it's so important to also have that stockpile of draft picks so that you have the infusion of young talent and guys you can develop. 
but yeah, they, they clearly, they, they didn't hit on the guys they needed to push themselves to the next level. Okay. Wait a minute. I've messed up here though. I've messed up here. My, my, oh, it's my, even more. Your my, math my, is wrong. My, my, <laughs> my strong suit in school is not math. As we can tell, it wasn't 110 guys. It was a hundred and fifty million dollars. No, what's what's forty million dollars? Evan Turner, yeah, right. hundred and fifty million dollars. Evan Turner, Mo Harkless, and Myers Leonard, a hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> I love that you're so worked up about this. It's it's but it's incredible. It's like oh man, you know, I want a meeting with the owner. We got to talk about the future of the team, and then I start reading <laughs> this story. And they spent $150 million on Evan Turner, Mo Harkless, and Myers Leonard. Come on. I mean, Nick, there's a lot of bad contracts out there. I Seriously, but they're, they're not usually all bound well, together <laughs> in the same span but, but, of a couple years in one team. Isn't this like uh, uh, a good indication of, of why it's so difficult in the in this current NBA? Like teams are trying to get to that next level and trying to be competitive, especially uh, when the West was so, so rigid and so difficult. And so you overspend on these guys because you're you have to. Like how else are you going to muscle your way into contention when the rest of the conference is so loaded? And maybe that's more so years past than this year, but still, like that's what you have to do. Uh, but you have to still be so diligent and hit on the, on those guys, and you have to find those bargains. I mean, Celtics Celtics picked up Evan Turner for I think like two point three million dollars when no one else wanted him, and they clearly weren't going to touch that when he when he was ready to cash in. Uh, but yeah, you know, you, you, those are those. Sometimes those contracts are way more important, right, than the 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 max cap guys you sign because. You have to be right, and there's just so much less room for error with those. And, well, now Portland's in a tough situation. And, Chris, that's why Boston's in the situation they're in. <laughs> and, and Lillard's re- requesting a meeting with Paul Allen. <laughs> KBKP starts right now. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Hashtag KBKP, where we take your questions. Uh, Kaylee, what do we have this week? You forgot to mention this is a spooky night version of the pod. It is. That is true. No, no, no. Um, they don't know when this records. So. Yeah, but they, I mean, it's a surprise. It's filmed the night before. <laughs> spooky. From one of our favorite fans, the Beast. Who do you think could best maximize Giannis's talent now that Kid is gone? Yeah, so I mean, this is an, an interesting question because this looks like it's going to be one of the most attractive, probably the most attractive job out there this summer with uh, Joe Prunty set to coach the remainder of the season as the interim coach replacing Kidd. Uh, you know, I think David Fisdale's name is obviously going to come up here quite a bit. Uh, he, he was, you know, clearly, he did a good job in Memphis and, you know, probably didn't deserve to be fired as quickly as he did. So, you know, he's going to wow. be at the top of, I think, any list. Wow, just but he he did a good job in Memphis. 
probably didn't deserve to be fired as quickly as he did. That is subtle KP shade. <laughs> to, to the Grizzlies? To Fizdale. I thought he did a great job, and you're like, well, he did... Basically, yeah, he's like, think, he did okay, okay and probably deserved a little more time before he got fired. Yeah, I, I think, well, for, first off, my, my take is that, you know, never have strong opinions about almost any coaches because they're largely, I don't want to use the term interchangeable because that sounds too negative. We can't determine from the outside uh, how much impact they actually have, I, I guess would be the, the way, the more accurate way of putting it. And I do think that Dave, David Fisdale, because of the way he was fired, people feel more strongly about him now than they did when he was actually coach of the Grizzlies. Okay, so I have, I have a couple follow-up questions about this but question. Wait, but wait, that wasn't my actual answer, though. Uh, oh. Well, Han jumped in. My, yeah, actual, answer, my actual answer is Mike Brown. Uh, I know that you know, people don't have fond memories of his most recent head coaching stints in Cleveland and L.A., but... Did a good job in Cleveland with a superstar who was kind of similar to Giannis in LeBron, you know, early in LeBron's career. And I think that, you know, what we saw last year from his time as acting head coach of the Warriors, he's grown as a head coach, being around Steve Kerr, being around the Warriors culture, and is a better, more well-rounded coach than the last time we saw him as head coach. So I think he would be a very interesting person to get that opportunity in Milwaukee. So can we call the co- head coaching job provisionally to coach Giannis Antetokounmpo? I mean, I think that's your number one task in Milwaukee. The number two task then probably is to get their defense right because that's you know ultimately what got Jason Kidd fired and why this team hasn't been successful this year. The fact that they're 24th in defensive rating with an incredible amount of talent. So that's where, you know again, I think a, case, a situation where Mike Brown fits pretty well with a strong defensive track record. But I, I, so I think you want to prioritize someone who is a good defensive coach, but ultimately we're talking about is how do you get the most out of Giannis during his prime years? That's, that's right. the question the Bucks have to answer. So if that is number one, then give me a quick, maybe like three, three bullet point checklist of the best coach, like what that looks like for Giannis and Tedekumpo. I mean, I think there's got to be a certain ability to be creative and flexible because, you know, Giannis is such a unique talent. And that's where I do think Jason Kidd probably deserves some credit in terms of, you know, he was willing to throw Giannis out there at point guard a couple of years ago, even when that maybe at that point wasn't even necessarily the best thing for the team, but it was the best thing for Giannis's development. And that ultimately was going to be the best thing for the team. So, you know, how can you use this guy who is a big man on defense, is a point guard on offense, but not a great outside shooter, be creative and use him in a multiple, you know, in multiple different ways, I, I think is, you know, that's, that's the, how I'd summarize it. Han, any other thoughts here? Um, I think that someone from the Spurs tree would be helpful, specifically Ettore Messina, who was a much lauded coach in Europe before coming over, being an, an assistant for Pop for several years now. I don't really understand why he hasn't had an opportunity, but if you're looking at the Warriors and what they're doing as um, the model towards the future, well, really, they kind of took the European style that Pop adopted and the D'Antoni style in Phoenix and evolved that. I don't see a reason why Messina shouldn't get a shot at this point. What about the Lakers trading Luke Walton? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm 
here for the fantasy aspect. Um, our next question comes from Brian David at NBA underscore craze, or is it crazy, but you just forgot to capitalize the E? I don't know, Brian. Let us know. He asks, if he retired today, is Steve Kerr a Hall of Famer? So this I thought was an interesting question because it, it isn't a topic I'd considered, but given you know the health situation that Kerr has had with his back and with the uh, the headaches that have resulted from his back surgery, it's it's probably a more realistic question than asking like you know is Steph Curry a Hall of Famer if he retired today because it is perhaps possible on some level if it, his health unfortunately goes south. We hope it's not, and I think my verdict has to be yes. I mean when you look at the the staggering success that the Warriors have had in Kerr's four years at the helm. You know, staggering? Of, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of coaches who make the... No, 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 no. It's not about the word in, in the usage. <laughs> it's, it's about oh, the, the staggering. Way <laughs> it's late. It's spooky. Uh, it's spooky. Spooky pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of coaches who make the Hall of Fame without a single championship. Uh, so for someone who's done it twice and also had, you know, the regular season success, it's not like, you know, putting together these random playoff runs and taking a team that wasn't considered a championship contender necessarily when he took over. Well, I, I think Kerr has to be a yes. To me, agree? it's like, like, why, what is the argument for him not to be like, that's, that's where I'm kind of confused. I thought the answer is obviously yes. I mean, I think it would have to be one of longevity, right? Well, I think to me it comes down to, like, how ridiculous does it sound for him to not be, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, I I mean, I guess, you know, if you think of the player uh, comparison, like, if there were a player who only played four years, as Kerr would be as a coach in this scenario, they probably wouldn't be a Hall of Famer. Uh, even if they a were... Play, a player that only played four years. Yeah, ex- yeah. Keep, keep going with this line of thought. It logically follows the same as mine. And won two I, uh, championships. Was is this where you were going, KB? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's hard because there's not really a comparison. I, I assume you'd have to give them one MVP, and right uh, is the equivalent to Kerr's one coach of the year. Correct. And was on, and basically led a seventy-three and nine team. Right. So, like, let's say Probably. Michael Jordan's career is cut off after the fourth year. Well, he hadn't done that much after the fourth year. Well, uh, in a, but align it. Or Michael Jordan's guess, career cut off after the first three-peat. I guess Terrell Davis is probably the closest comparison to that and, like, to go cross-sport. Who? I mean, uh, the Denver Broncos running back in the 90s. Yeah, idiot. Uh, the Denver Broncos. The what? <laughs> I believe did get into the, the Hall of Fame. The Denver Broncos? <laughs> Are there any NBA players? I mean, Walton, I guess, would be the closest. Sure. I mean, I guess like it would be like if Brandon Roy won one championship. And an MVP. I mean, that's, you know, we talked about Roy's Hall of Fame case last week. Clearly, like the Steve Kirk oh, one player would have a better case. You know what? How about this? Derek Rose. I mean, I had that thought, but he didn't have the championships. He did have the MVP. And I don't think Derrick Rose is going to get in the Hall of Fame. I don't think he would either. Which would be unprecedented because every Hall, every MVP has made it. But also, I think Derrick Rose would have been better off if he would have just retired after the ACL in terms of his Hall of Fame chances.
wait. So next, you want to do? Do you want to do pickle, pickle or do you yeah. want oh, pickle? Okay. Yeah, pickle. <laughs> Where is this pickle question? This extremely important salient question comes from the Book of Walrus, or at the Book of Walrus, his his actual name is apparently just a period. Why, KP, because you have all the pickle takes, does cucumber, I almost said computer, taste better pickled? Pickled computer. I might prefer a pickled computer to a pickled cucumber. Cucumber is bad in any form, so... I I disagree with the very premise minute. of this, this question. I thought this was going a whole other direction. I thought your pickle takes were going to be like, I put it on peanut butter and jelly, and I love it Whoa. so much. No, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, it's it's almost but not quite to the point where having the pickle on, for example, a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich defiles the entire thing well wait 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 so so that's how i feel about mayo but like times a million are you you're not at mayo level with pickles or i'm not at mayo level no Hmm. wait because i assume you would actually have to throw something out if it was if it was in contact with mayo right oh not just throw it out you burn it (laughs) wait so what what is it what about pickles that does that I don't know. I don't like the taste. Oh, <laughs> wait! But you also don't like the taste of cucumbers. Is this like a texture thing? Yes, but they're totally different textures. So I don't like either of the two textures. Wait, hold on. So have you tried the zucchini? I'm tolerant of zucchini. Oh, we found a little crack in your argument, boo boo. <laughs> okay, but but all right. So it's a texture thing. But also a taste thing, because you're right, about zucchini I don't feel as strongly negative about. But, but there's zucchini, also not such a thing as pickled zucchini. R- right, because that's disturbing. But, <laughs> like, a, a cucumber and a zucchini don't really taste that different. Like, cucumber doesn't even taste like anything. What taste? To what taste do you refer? That's true, but still just out on it. Um, our like hard water. Our, our very own... Brian Windhorst also hates pickles. Okay, but Brian Windhorst only eats plain pasta with like a tiny little bit of garlic. That's true, but I've Sounds seen him. Right. I've seen him order sandwiches, and it comes with a pickle spear. And he will, he won't even pick it up. He'll like nudge it with one finger off the plate, <laughs> and then push it to the other end of the table. That's so. For some reason, that is the most windy thing I've ever heard. That's and I like, right. All right, the final question we got today, the one that I favorited so quickly here. True in Spirit asks, what do you think we could do to improve the marketability of math education to kids? I feel like pop culture generally communicates a negative attitude toward math, and it makes kids naturally susceptible to not like it. I never see people excited about math in media, which, by the way, first off, is untrue because we are part of the media. This is an interesting question. I sound like you. Um, I think the negativity around math is, you know, largely because people think it's difficult or uh, strange. And it's like, because it's like, it's like speaking another language, right? Like it is, it is actually forming numbers into coherent something else. One of my favorite things to teach kids, um, because when I, 
work at the <clears throat> Boys and Girls Club that I volunteer at, the kids get so much happier once they learn the order of operations. PEMDAS, I'm sure you're all familiar, because it's like giving them a map to look at things that are so confusing and at first so like mind-boggling and stress them out like when you see a really long operation they you know they get really tense and like they don't they shut down they don't want to do it but once you give them the tool of the order of operations it's like so simple to go step by step and break it down for them so i think really marketing math is trying to figure out and i don't know the answer to this except for a great teacher or a great tutor which means a patient teacher which means a kind teacher um other than, you know, marketing math equals not making it scary. I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. I think the other aspect of it is, though, the making math fun and relatable. And like that's, where, that's where I think sports is hugely valuable. Like a lot of the math, uh, a lot of what I've learned about Excel, for example, you know, was just self-taught as a kid playing around with basketball stats or baseball stats and, you know, keeping stats for the, my team on Griffey baseball and super Nintendo or something like that. Like, you know, it, it didn't seem like I was learning about math. It just seemed like I was, you know, doing baseball or basketball or things that were fun. And, and sports is not the only example of that, but it, it's a great one. And I think, uh, a real, you know, kind of gateway for kids oftentimes into learning about math. Uh, so with the caveat that I have no idea about how math is actually being taught at school now, you know, I think to the extent that you can make it those kind of relatable things in real world situations, uh, because the other thing you get a lot is, well, how is this actually going to help me? Mm -hmm. And of course, math is hugely useful in day to day life. And I think that, you know, in particular, statistical literacy is something that our, our world would be a lot better off if, uh, it was more emphasized in public school. I totally agree with that because particularly with your last point, because I think a, a large problem, no matter what field you're, <clears throat> you're talking about, whether you go into, you know, an applied science or political science or whatever, the biggest confusion that I've witnessed even at the grad level is people kind of confuse no matter how smart they are. Because it's so tempting to. They confuse the cause and effect of certain relationships, um, particularly so in political science. And I think what you're talking about being more um, statistically coherent is, um, is really important. And I think that a lot of, like one of my favorite classes in high school was AP Stats. And uh, I think it's because it was so applicable and you know I, I although i i think i liked calc more because i that was just like scratched an itch for me i think the statistics one you know in in retrospect i appreciate more because it was so i mean it's so easy to to see it everywhere and to use it in actual practice so i think to go back to your point about difficulty the other thing i'd say is maybe to embrace the struggle a little bit because i think there's a tendency for people to think that the world is divided into people for whom math comes easily or naturally 
and they are math people. And then there are other people who are not math people and they're just never going to be able to do it. And that's not true. I mean, right. you know, I think we would probably be described as math people. But oh, God, was, we're going into the growth mindset, aren't we? We are. We, there? Oh, we, we are going to the growth mindset. <laughs> it, that doesn't mean it, mean it was easy for us. It was often a lot of hard work to learn, you know, things like, I mean, you know, the order of operations, probably not that. But, you know, once you get into more complex concepts, it's inevitably going to be a lot of work. And you've got to kind of enjoy that work because of the, you know, what you're going to eventually learn and what you're going to get out of it, as opposed to just not you know, just turning away from math entirely because of the fact that it seems too difficult. Sine, cosine, cosine, sine, 3.14159. And oh not get too cheesy. <laughs> Although, one, one other thing I was going to say, uh, I, I don't know if you guys would remember this. Square One Television, apparently, was, was the name of the show. And it was like uh, a lot of, like, parody and and things like that that involved math so they instead of they had a parody of david letterman that was david numberman for example and we <laughs> at age let's see this would have been probably between like seven through twelve a hugely formative influence on me and i i wish that it would i hope that it's still available and that people are still watching this but I don't, so how did it, did it help back. you learn I, I don't know if i can recall how it specifically helped me learn it's just, again, the idea of making math not something that is intimidating and boring, but something that is interesting and fun. I feel like a, an easy sell for kids would be that the world is confusing and there's a lot of things that don't make sense. But in math, everything makes sense because everything has to make sense. Yeah, that's true. It's inherently logical. Unlike the world around us. And on that note. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to this edition of Hashtag KBKP. Come back on Friday for our other segment. And be sure to keep sending in those questions. Mm-hmm.